I feel like it's the right thing to do. I want to take just a couple of minutes because this is the first time that I've spoken the last however long since our last mission trip to the folks here that uh, gave money towards our trip we took in September to the Dominican Republic for all the prayers and the mothers that held down the fort and all that. I want to kind of tell you just a couple of minutes um, about that trip. Um, we went down with 17 of us, and we went into a place that they referred to as back in the villages. This is more off the beaten path, and in a third world country, that can get pretty interesting. You get back into, it was more of a mountainous type area, agriculture area, but they, it was steep hills down to the rivers, and they built the villages along the rivers back in the mountains. And we went down there. There was a church down there that had had a revival, and they had outgrown their church. And we went down uh, and added on to their existing building and made it to where they could hold more people. And it was interesting to me because a couple things jumped out right out right off the bat. When we got way back in there, it was obvious it wasn't easy to access. It was the roads were rough. It was a long, long trip. Um, but when we got back in there, uh, it was different in several ways. It was different in the fact that it seemed the people were were more receptive. They were more open to us. They had not been uh, influenced by maybe the American way of, of handing things out. They didn't ask for anything. They didn't really seem to even expect anything as far as materially or monetarily. They were just glad to see us, and they were very receptive, and they were very thankful. And I noticed as we built this church, we would go get material or we would haul off debris. There was not any other churches. And finally, I asked the the pastor of the church, I said, uh, is there any other churches in the village? He said, no. And I said, how many people are here? He said, there's 1,400 that live scattered up through this river bottom in this area. He said, the church that you all are adding on to is the only church that he's known to ever be in the village. And we were out of blocks, so we went up the road, and we came to another it kind of a break in the, the countryside there, and then it came to another village. And I said, what about this village? He said, well, there's about 800 here, but there's no church here. It was three or four miles up the river, and, and the same thing repeated again. And I didn't even know that there were places like that. You know, a lot of countries have had so many teams and so many missionaries sent to them that it's gotten to be kind of a part of their way of life is to to uh, entertain and to accommodate teams of Americans and, and other countries that send missionaries in that area. But this place doesn't seem to be that way. And it was really an eye-opener to me because, you know, you think about somebody living their whole life and how many nights they, they lay in their bed and think, you know, I'm guilty. I'm wrong. They have the burden of sin just like we do. We had. Yet, if they were going to seek out maybe someone to talk to or, or someone, there is no where or anybody. Obviously, God is sovereign and his grace can... It is not limited to a church building. But it did strike me as is something that, you know, here we have a lot of opportunities. 
we can go get a lot of different opinions. We can go get until we find one we like. When down there, there is nothing. And the same thing, their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers, the same lifestyles and the same uh, bondage that they have continues. And to me, that was, that kind of struck home to me. It was, um, there, there's a lot of opportunities down there. And some of our guys uh, preached one night, Caleb and Joel and, and they preached at one of the churches and got a chance to interact with the people. You know, on those trips, we go and we we go because we see a need, and we go to minister to those folks. But I see it as twofold. It's also an opportunity for men that, as we are American men with busy lifestyles that are never-ending, there's always something else, always something else, and we're, we can get consumed with that. It's an opportunity for them to call a timeout, so to speak, and, and get a chance to, to evaluate things in their life that have purpose. And I see it that way. To me, my heart is possibly more towards the men that I take than the people we go to minister to for whatever reason. I think to really impact a group of people, if you impact the head of the house, it's going to really have a ripple effect. And it's God that does the work in the hearts with them or the men that go. All I can do is believe that God will use me to connect an opportunity with people that would go, and that in and of itself is a ministry. And it's something for everybody to consider because I think at times we all need a timeout. And I want to speak tonight. I want to title the message tonight just a single word, purpose. And all I could, I could probably expound on that and say, well, our purpose or the church's purpose. But I don't, only, I don't even want to do that. I just want you to look at the word purpose and believe that God will... Open your eyes to what that would mean to you. Because I purposely have not myself studied any commentators or anything that may have been able to make this message sound better, may have been able to make me look like I knew a little bit more about something, or just to where whenever the night's over, you say that was a good message. I really don't care anything about that. I just want God to use a simple man's mouth and mind to speak to all of us tonight. I just want to be here and willing to do it. I just want to speak a message tonight, and I don't want to tell you how or what and tell you this is what you should do because at the end of all of those messages, I don't know if that has any value, but I know the Holy Spirit can guide a man in truth, and he can open your understanding, and if there could be something said tonight, something that would be from him to you, that has purpose. That right there can affect a life. 
That's where I'm coming from tonight. I want to tell you about a, a young man down in the Dominican Republic, and this story doesn't have a, any significance at all. I just want to make a point. As we started working on the project, there was kids around, and you all that went, you'll remember this, this boy. There was a young boy. He looked about 9 or 10 years old, and he was always around trying to help. His name was Handy. Well, after talking to the pastor about the second day or so, the pastor said, you know, that boy's 18 or 19 years old. Now, this boy wasn't any taller than this pulpit right here. He really wasn't. He was little. And they said, well, he was sick as a child. He just never grew. And, and uh, his dad died when he was several years ago, and it's just his mother, and he has two other siblings. And I noticed the little fella, he really had a lot of, of try in him. He really wanted to help. So I pulled him aside and I said, uh, I'd like for you to work with us all week. And I'd like to pay you. And man, his eyes really lit up. And I, want to say, I told him, I said, I want to give you 100 pesos a day. That's like $2.50. And he was so excited. And I said, but I want to ask you, what are you going to do with your money? He said, I'm going to give it to my mom. I mean, that fast, he said. And I said, well, you work hard, and I'll pay you every day. Well, I tried to make it a point. I'd heard his story, and I wanted to talk to him, and the best I could in my Spanish, I, I got a, a story from him about he has a difficult time finding a job because he's so small. Um, there's no way for any transportation out of that little part of the valley. And he just does whatever he can, whatever he can. And, uh, but the last day, I noticed he was really hanging around me all the time, really hanging around all the time. The last day we were leaving, everybody knew we were leaving. We walked down to our house. We walked out in front of the house, and I said, well, uh, we're getting ready to leave, and thanked him for helping, and, and he just kind of stood there, and, and I looked at him, and he started crying, just tears just running down his face, and I said, uh, I asked him, tried to ask him why he was crying. He, no, I, you know, nothing. I don't know. And he said, well, I guess, I guess I'll see you later. And he walked off. And I thought, you know, what, why was that boy so emotional? Was it that somebody had showed him attention? Was he thinking about, was he thinking about maybe his father that he hadn't had in, in quite some time? Or, or was it just, that somebody cared about him. I don't know. The point is that there are opportunities to minister to hurting and needing people all over the world. And they're, they're also here in our country. They're here in our town. And they're here in our church. The point is not, are there opportunities to minister? The point is, do we have a responsibility to do the work of ministry? Is part of our Christianity and our Christian walk, does it have purpose in meeting the needs of those that are in need? I'm asking the question, and it's something that we have to look at and see, is that part of our core belief and our 
in our Christianity, like we all have certain things that we are sure of, certain beliefs, certain things that we are grounded in. What about the work of ministry? What do we really believe? Because I, I think and I know that what we believe about our purpose greatly affects the decisions that we make in our life. I want us to look at four areas of our life, and I want you to, if he would be so willing, let the Lord speak to you and see what do you believe after all these years about your part and your responsibility and your purpose in the work of ministry. I want us to turn to John 15. Sometimes just as busy folks need a timeout, sometimes the church needs a timeout. Sometimes we collectively could evaluate our purpose, one of our purposes. In John 15, and these are familiar passages, but I want us to look at it in light of what, of what our message is tonight. In John 15, in verse 5, it says, I am the vine, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me... You can do nothing. That's what John was speaking about last Wednesday. Without him, we can do nothing. Over in verse 16, a core belief we all have. You did not choose me, but I chose you. We all agree. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And when you look at verse 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. I want us to think about the idea of ministry. Because there's several different common and probably the most popular thought that would go into our thinking of ministry. We would first think, well, maybe the preachers are the ones that have a work of ministry. Or it could be the men that pass out tracts. Well, that's what they do. Or it could be the song leaders. Folks, that's a work of ministry. Or it could be, it could be the youth leader. It could be someone that works with the youth. I have found for myself personally that some of the most effective, where God has used me the most effectively to minister to a person, I haven't spoke at all. I haven't preached a single message. It could be with young people around the breakfast table, or it could be at our youth camp, where all you do is behind the scenes quietly try to keep things going, or it could be on these mission trips. I want us to think about the idea that if it's just the preachers, then what about all the other gifts that are given the church that don't pertain to preaching? Because if those gifts are given to the church, I promise you they all have a purpose. 
And we have to know if we have been given a gift, we've been given it for a purpose. The work of ministry. There's ministries in the church. There's local ministries in, in our community, in these areas around here. There's, there's ministry overseas. There's a lot of different kinds of ministries. And I have heard, even from people here, and I don't want this to sound wrong. Forgive me, this is family, okay? When we go on the mission trips, I've had a lot of people say, well, I would like to go, but I'm seeking the Lord for something more meaningful. I'm looking for something more permanent. But folks, there's a work in our hearts that the man next to you or the woman next to you can't see, that only God sees, that whenever that work is complete and we are ready to do the work of ministry, then he can use us. It's like a man one time that told me, he said he had just gotten saved and he was so excited that he said he opened his Bible and he, he just knew he was called to ministry. And he prays that I'd pray with gusto, Lord, here I am, send me. Week in and week out. And he said he, nothing happened. And he said he finally went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, the Lord has called me to ministry. Help me try to find what it is. I, I, I'm ready to go. And he said the pastor told him, well, we need a janitor. And he, and he said in his heart, he immediately thought, mm, you don't understand. I'm, I have put on this earth to do the work of ministry. But he said he was too proud and didn't want to come across wrong, so he didn't tell his pastor that. So he started doing the janitorial work. And he said after a while, he went to the pastor, and the pastor said, you've really done a good job. And he said, Pastor, I believe there's more. God has more. And he said, well, we've needed a groundskeeper. Maybe you could do both. And the way he told me, the best I could remember the story told, he said, it was several years of doing this work that he realized that it was all part of God's plan. It was the small things that built patience within him, and it prepared him for the work God had for him. Sometimes people will say, I just wonder what it is that God has for me. I don't know how many people in conversation... In my mind, I'm so thankful to have a brother or a sister that's saying, God's going to use me. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I wonder what part of them is not surrendered to the Lord. Because we have to be surrendered before we can be used. I want us to think about the small things and the large things. And by the way, that janitor's name was Lloyd Ashby. The def by definition, to minister to is to aid, assist, or help as a servant. To minister to. And we think about every ministry begins with a need. And as God puts us on our heart, when we see a need, and we go and aid and assist and help the spiritual needs, and at times, materially, emotional, physical, whatever it might be. When we do that, we are responding. We're doing the work of ministry. 
Let me ask a question to everybody here. Allow me to use a somewhat carnal illustration. What if, what if the church was as, say that we had all been selected, predestined, I mean selected, with a purpose and a mission in mind, similar to, let's say it was selected for a ball team. And everybody just shows up at the training facility selected and glad they get to be part of the team. It's a real honor and a privilege. And they begin to exercise. And they begin to remove things in their life that's going to keep them from being able to perform. And over this takes time. Then they begin to receive their whole armor. I mean, their, their, their pads, their uniforms, their helmet. They begin to study and understand the, the tactics of the enemy or of the opponent. They study film. They all of a sudden have gotten themselves in physical condition. They have their whole armor. They've studied film. They're ready. What if that team, a team of fine-tuned athletes that have done everything they could possibly do, went back and shined their helmets again, watched more film. They've exercised more. They're more prepared. What if they never leave the training facility? What if they just never enter the game? Every week, it's back to about themselves, being prepared. But there's never any mission accomplished, never any purpose. What happens after a long time? You begin to lay your shield down, maybe not be as excited about watching tape and studying. Maybe it begins to be something that we seem like that we are prepared enough. Is that possible that as Christians we could do the same? Is it possible that we've been given a gift and there's ministry opportunities that have been in front of us, yet we always think, that's not my calling. And years and years go by and our, our physical condition and our, our preparedness begins to falter. It's a thought, folks. It is a thought. I want us to look at four things. There are four areas that I believe make, it makes a huge difference in our lives if we believe that we have a part in ministry and a purpose or that's for somebody else. There's a lot of areas, but let's just look at four. First is how that we view lost people. Because let's do a little test. If I say this phrase, I want you to think about your first reaction. Jesus is coming back soon. Your first reaction. Is it 
I need to probably shore up some things in my life? Or is it I've got to tell someone who's lost? Because that is, a, that is one indicator of whether or not we believe in our core beliefs that we have a part in ministry and how we view lost people. Just a thought. Do we look inward every time we hear something spiritual or about judgment that's coming or about anything that involves the end of life or heaven or hell? Do we think of ourselves, or is there something in us that says, I have a responsibility and a purpose to tell those who are lost? Think about it. If every ministry begins with a need, there is no greater need than to be born again. And if we don't have a responsibility to tell folks that they need to be born again, then I'm not real sure what kind of ministry we're waiting on. The more I look at this, the more I think from my children to my neighbors. There is men that I've known my whole life. And just lately, I've had to say, okay, I'm not going to hide the fact that I have Jesus in my heart. I, I'm not going to hide that. I talked to a man the other day, and he frowned at me like you have never seen, a, man, a farmer friend of mine. He looked at me, but I thought right then, I said, that is right because you can see it written all over his face. He's thinking about it. What in the world are we doing if we are not telling a lost person in some way that God predestined way and plan that we can speak the gospel to somebody? If we're not doing that, do we even need to talk any more about the work of ministry? Because that's the greatest need, folks. It is. We have to be able to explain to our children the need to be born again. If we can't talk to our children about the need, and not only you need to be born again, but why? We ha they have to know why. They have to know they were born with a sinful nature. They're separated from God. It was the same way for me. It's the same way for you. But you must be born again. And it has to be talked about over and over and over. They have to be able to, as lost children, be able to answer any question about salvation there is. If they do not, are we doing the work of ministry with our children? Because I don't know how many times I've heard in my life, well, it's in the Lord's hands, and ultimately it is. But I'm asking, in your core beliefs... Do you believe you have a purpose to do the work of ministry? And if you do, it has to be the ministry of reaching lost people. There has to be a desire in us with our life, the way we live, the way we talk, that they know something is different. There has to be. I want to turn to uh, Luke 24.
Luke 24, at the end of the chapter, in verse 46 and 47, it said, Then he said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. It doesn't matter if we're here behind a pulpit, if we're at the breakfast table, if we're riding in the truck, if we're talking to a neighbor. There has to be, at the tip of our tongues, it has to be, in whatever way that it can be done, preached repentance and the remission of sin in Jesus' name because he died on the cross so we could do that. He died to give us the message and the ministry to the lost. That is, that has to be part of for me because I believe I do have a purpose and a place in ministry. That has to be something that's there. It has to be and believe that God's going to allow us to use it. To make disciples, the work of ministry, I want us to consider as a church what we believe about our place in ministry. Number two, our belief about our purpose and our work in ministry is greatly influenced or greatly influences point number two, and that is how we view our church. I don't know how many of you have ever thought about that. But as I see this, I sit back at my desk and something inside of me, it is alive because I know that I have just read and realized truth. And whenever that is, when I, when I see that, I think, I do not think I will ever be able to think the way I used to think again. Because I think it is that big of a deal. How we view our church, our local body, Shelbyville Christian Assembly. Most people want to separate the work of ministry and the local church. Folks, there's no separation there. Because what do you think prepares you for the work of ministry? It is our local assembly. People say, well, I'm going to do the work of ministry, and I don't know what the church is going to do because they all need to be doing something and they're not. Folks, that's not scriptural because there's different levels of maturity in a church. There's different levels of being prepared. I'm going to read a lot or several scriptures here. I want you just to listen yourself to what the Lord could tell you by his scripture about the purpose of what we're doing tonight. Because when you see it, it takes away so many gray areas. There is a trend nationally. Church attendance is falling off. Commitment to a local assembly is falling off. As technology comes up, there's not as much of an importance nationally overall for attendance in being a part of a local assembly. There's less commitment, and quite frankly, there's just less value to meeting in a local assembly. But I believe you could probably sum those three things, commitment and value and attendance, you could probably sum those up with 
our word purpose because there's actually just a lack of purpose, a perceived purpose of the church. And it's possible that that kind of mindset could even be affecting us in a way. Could it be that after a lot of years, we, it kind of fades and we kind of forget the purpose of the local assembly? And therefore, we're not as committed. Maybe attendance can vary. Maybe we value it a little less. Test yourself again. If you're going to go out of town and you plan a vacation, what do you look at as most important, Sunday morning or Monday morning, being back? We say, I have to work. That's true. But you also need to hear what the Lord would say. It's very clear and cut and dried which one is valued. Just think about it. When we leave town, or we come back, or things in our life come up, what do we value? Folks, it's the facts. Whatever your life has been the last six months is the truth about where you're at when it comes to purpose. Can we define why that we meet here? And there's many reasons. Tonight we're talking about the work of ministry. And I want to show you where it's so important that we view what we're doing tonight with purpose. Because otherwise, we're like the athlete that's completely trained and dressed and studied film. After a while, how much more film and how much more prepared and how much more can we do if we don't really have any purpose? I want us to turn to Second Timothy. And I want to talk about the local assembly and how it is connected with the work of ministry. When mom and dad moved away from the farm, they took, I told them to take anything that, uh, everything they wanted, leave whatever they, they didn't have space for, books, this and that. One of the things that mom left accidentally was her original Bible. I have, ne I have never seen a Bible that is wrote up Scribbled on, every single page start to finish is completely covered with notes, underlining, highlighting, start to finish. So when she left, she left that Bible, and I'm not going to give it to her. I'm going to keep it. And I was uh, preparing the message. I said, I'm going to preach with her Bible. When I got to this point, I opened it up, and evidently she took Second Timothy with her because he was no, he was gone. So she let, took 2 Timothy when she hit the road, buddy. She was gone. 2 Timothy 3. These are so, these are, these are so uh, familiar scriptures. Listen to it, though, with our purpose and the work of ministry. Let's go all the way up and get, uh, let's get verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, 
and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Folks, there is a process that goes on in a man's life. When Jesus stopped by the seashore, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He said he would make them fishers of men. There's a process, a maturing, that enables us to be able to, not just to be here, not just to become more and more exactly right, but to be able to do the work of ministry. Where anything he would ask for us to do, we would be equipped. And the equipping process happens here. We just have to make sure that when we are equipped, we haven't lost our sense of purpose. Because otherwise, we can look at ourselves as being overqualified to do the simple acts of ministry that he would have for us to do. I want us to look at, while we're right there, Second Peter. I want us to look at the, the alternative. Second Peter 3. In verse, so let's get verse 15. It said, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him has written to you, as also in his epistles, speaking in them of the things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. We have to put a premium and a value on being taught and becoming stable. Because in doing so, we are being prepared. If we can see that, what happens? We get so filled with purpose. God has a plan for me. He, he saved me with a mission and a purpose in mind. Therefore, I need to be equipped and prepared to do that. And he has given me a gift of a local assembly. And he has given me men over me that can teach me and instruct me and enable me not to be unlearned and unstable when I begin to do my work of ministry. Folks, that is one of the reasons for the local assembly is so that we would become prepared for the work of ministry. If we miss that, then we will give less than 100% whenever we view our local assembly. We have to be established in the fact that we have purpose. And this assembly has purpose. And that is preparing and equipping us for the work of ministry. Turn to Hebrews 5.
Hebrews 5 and verse 12 says, For though by this time some ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those by reason of the of the use of their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It describes a process. Folks, I tell you, in going on trips with mixed crowds of people, when I say mixed, I mean several different churches. I'm going to tell you that what we have here is not normal. We are not just another church of people that are just looking for something we can do and we're unprepared. We are possibly the most prepared group of people to do the work of ministry that I could imagine. Because we've had all of these years of being taught you won't get out into ministry and the devil be able to trip you up in a way or discredit you or derail your ministry. Why? Because you're taught. Because you have matured. Because since childhood we've known the scriptures and they have equipped us to every good work. Folks, that's scripture. I look around here and I talk to men on our trip, there's things that come up on this trip or on any other trip or anywhere you're doing it, and they think, well, now, is that the Lord? We may see that. The majority of Christians would not because they are untaught. And like I said, I'm not going to stand here and say this is what you should or should not do. I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you and say, is that a compliment or is that a reprimand that we could be so prepared yet not as a whole focus on the work of ministry? If our church calls a timeout as a whole and says, what is our purpose and our responsibility to do these things? What do you think? It's a thought. We have the most potential. Of course, this is, I don't know a lot of churches, but I do know here in the needs that people have, we have a lot of answers. It's just a matter of whether or not we consider ourselves to be overqualified or consider ourselves not to have a ministry or do we consider ourselves that to be somebody else's? My gift is going to someday come along. Think about it. We've talked about, like the other churches, how that they may not be as taught or as learned or as stable or as mature. Yet we look somewhat down on maybe all of their programs. But what if we change the word program? What if we just change the word program to purpose? We'd say, you know, they have all these 
purposes. They just always have purpose. They're gonna they they decide that this is what they're gonna do, and they've got purposes for that. And I'm not saying that that's what makes the church. It's like John said, we're connected. We're branches connected to the vine. It's not the other way around. We don't go out and do something. Therefore, now we have His presence. It's because of His presence we can go and do something. But I just want us to think about how that we view programs, purposes, organizing a ministry effort. Think about it. I want us to uh, look at a third thing. How we believe about our purpose in our role in the work of ministry will greatly influence how we view our families. You think about this. If we, if our purpose is to raise really good teenagers, or we believe God has saved us and given us a purpose and a work of ministry, and we are going to raise very prepared adults. You see what I'm saying? We have two drastically different paths. Because to raise a good teenager, we just have to tell them what. What they need to think, what they need to do, what they need, what their reaction needs to be. But if we're raising prepared adults for the work of ministry, they have to know why. They have to know in great detail why we believe what we believe. Because as soon as they are through their teen years, a good teenager, when he gets to be an adult, and he's just been told what, I believe, he then in turn begins to question why. And when he starts to question why, on this point, he starts to add another why over here. And then another why, and before long, he's backing up. He's been a good person and a good, from all, all appearances, a good Christian teenager. But is he a prepared adult to do the work of ministry? Because to do the work of ministry, we have to be taught, and we have to be equipped, and we have to be able to have that done here, and as our children, they have to have that at home. They have to be able to be taught and equipped to be prepared adults for the work of ministry. Because when I look at that, I sit back and think, that's going to change the way that I view my family. My wife or your spouse. I have seen the, one of the most biggest changes in a person's life from early years of her life to now. The patience, the ability to just keep a cool head, the desire to help people, keeping me in check whenever I want to just react. Why, why is she not involved in a lot of drama? Because she's too wise for that. Why is she not involved in a lot of gossip? You can't trip her like that. She has matured 
and become equipped. And I see it. Now, if I look at her and say she doesn't have a ministry, then how will I, how would I treat her? How would I react to her? But if I do believe she does, she has a purpose on this earth just like I do. Then whenever she says, I'm going to do this, I say, what can I do to help? You can't give me too many kids to watch. You can't have me do anything that's too hard because why? She has been created and equipped and taught and stabilized and matured to do the work of ministry. There are needs for her. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm not talking about filling a pulpit and telling everybody this or that. I'm talking about being able to aid and assist and help in the needs of the people that need to be helped as a servant. I'm impressed. And when I say that, I have to look at how that I view whether we have a purpose, a work of ministry drastically changes the way I look at the things that she aspires to do. Y'all hearing me in here? Good teenagers and prepared adults are a lot different. I'm going to tell you what you already do know. The next generation's in big trouble. If you all can't see that, maybe it's because I am 39. And I have a lot of friends in the generation before. Most of the, my interactions are the generation before. But I have the next generation also involved in what we do and going to the school and this and that. And I'm telling you, if the curve since the beginning of time has been a decline in morality and a decline in society, the, the last two generations has done this. It is, on a, it is in a free fall. We cannot, as the generation before me, they could rely on society that their kids were intermingling with to teach them to be pretty good moral people. We no longer can do that. You cannot allow your child to leave your sight, your oversight, your supervision, and to intermingle in the next generation and expect them to be moral kids on their own. It can't happen because we are at a time it is on a decline. And I know all the old-timers probably said that when their children were at this age, but it is obvious it is falling, and it's falling quickly. They have a lack of an ability to have any social skills. Remember what we're talking about. We're talking about the work of ministry. Because I don't believe there is a work of ministry that is to an iPhone or a computer. It is to people. And if you cannot communicate with people, then how can we have a work of ministry? Prepared adults, they are unprepared if they do not have social skills and the ability to communicate. And that comes back to the focus of mom and dad. Are we growing and, pro and producing prepared adults to do the work of ministry? They have to be able to communicate. They have to have social skills. They have to have respect. They have to have respect. You think about 
all of the things that goes into being effective in ministry. And then you begin to look at the child that we're producing. We, they have to be able to minister to people because that is the only thing in this world that's eternal is going to be the soul of a man. And that is ultimately what we have to teach our children to be able to do. The old saying, the apple falls not far from the tree, is still true. If we don't have purpose and priorities, neither will our children, unless God intervenes in his mercy. Maybe as a family we need a time out as well. Maybe we need to sit down with our wives and our husbands and, and evaluate what is the purpose. What is our purpose? And believe that God will honor your effort of obedience to him, and he will make things begin to change in our families. Because this generation has to know why. Our children here have to know why. I believe we have a lot of children that are being destroyed, and we hardly even recognize it. They're being greatly influenced right here in the middle of our congregation. I want us to look at a familiar passage in Luke 10. In Luke 10, in verse 30, it said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came, looked, and passed by the other side. But a certain Samaritan, when he, as he journeyed, came where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. I want to ask us tonight if we ever have the sense of being a little overqualified for a simple ministry like being involved in the life of one of our young people. I think that we have wounded, stripped, and left to die kids all around us in this generation. Completely unprepared. We can't be like the priests, folks. We can't discross the other side or the Levite. Whatever happened to having compassion on those that are hurting? It takes work, but we've got to take them in. We don't know what's going on. We do not know what's going on in the average kid that, that is going to school and being involved in electronics. He's on his phone. She's this, she's got these friends, she's out on Friday, she's doing all these things. They are building up a lot of baggage. And they are being stripped, beaten, and left half dead. I just want us to consider if we're going to the other side of the street or are we looking for an opportunity to do the work of ministry 
And sometimes you can do the work of ministry and nobody ever knows it. You can just be interested. You can be encouraging. You can take them in and give them the things they need and just give them a reset. Give them a chance. Because they're not bad people. They're not spoiled goods. They've just been allowed to be damaged. Think about it. I want us to think about compassion. All right, lastly, what we believe about the work of ministry will greatly influence how that we view ourselves as Christians. Because if we have a purpose, if we believe we have a purpose and we have a ministry to do, then we will be, as it says, disciples, followers of Christ. On the other side of it, we would be hearers, but not doers. How many times do we sit in here and hear some of the sermons like we've heard that are, that they are, they are really impactful? But are we taking that and applying it because... My core belief is I know I have a work of ministry, and I know that I have a purpose. God is preparing me. This was part of it. What a gift. What a nugget of truth. I'm going to apply this, and I'm not going to think the way that I used to think. I'm not going to react the way I used to react. That is whenever truth comes into our heart and sets us free. That is a nugget of truth. But at the hearer, if he doesn't really have a purpose, what does he do? He says, that's, that's a good sermon. That's a good sermon. But that's it. Because I really don't know if I was more prepared what I would even do. Or when he says we go and we bear fruit, we would answer, if we did not have any purpose, we would say, well, that's not really my calling. But our calling is the ministry and the need that God brings in front of us all the time as Christians. He brings these things in front of us. Pray for it. Watch for it. Recognize it. Take on the fact that this is, this is me. This is why I was chosen. I was predestined. Part of what my purpose is on this earth is going to be to bear fruit and to do the will of the Lord and to speak repentance and remission of sin to those that are lost, and to reach out to those who are wounded, and to become more matured and more equipped, and take the things that I'm learning so that whenever I do go out, I will not be as an unstable and untaught man twisting the Scripture to my own destruction. And it says, by continuing these things, for by doing so, you will not only save yourself, but those who hear you. I don't know, do you all see what I'm saying? I mean, it's clear to me. It fires me all the way up because I see I've got a purpose. I have, God has a plan for me. That is why he saved me. That is why he is teaching me things. That is why I see something I think, never again will I wonder about that. Praise God, I'm, I have a purpose. Y'all hearing what I'm saying in here? And when we have a sense of purpose... It takes on a new meaning. What we're doing here tonight, 
you're, I'm not going to miss church for something that is at very best passing in brief because there's no way. Because I have a purpose, a higher calling. I have something that God has prepared for me. And folks, we are not. We are not just the church on the corner. For one reason, I can say that with a surety, is because we have the Holy Spirit. And if we have the Holy Spirit, is it only to guide us in all truth so that we can sit here and be full of truth? Or is it to give us power to go and to make disciples? Can we go out and have purpose? Can we go out and do the work of ministry? Nameless, without any, without any credit, without any name on anything. We go, we help the least, or we go and we preach to the thousands. But we do so with a sense of purpose. We do so because he saved us for this. It was because he died we can even preach it. It's because he died we can be here tonight. Y'all going to make me go to preaching? And if I had to go to Luke, if I had to go to the next verse that talks about and we will receive power, I would become Pentecostal on you tonight and I would go to hooping and hollering because when you take that scripture and you apply it to everything we have learned, you apply it to going, you apply it to our ministry with power, you're going to have to say hallelujah. Does anybody hear me in here tonight? Because that is what in your heart it wells up inside of you. How long will a man sit there and keep it quiet? I'm about to the end of my rope. I'm about there. Not much longer. Because if we apply that and we add all this together, all of a sudden you say, tomorrow morning is going to be good because he's going to be able to use me and I have a purpose. And whenever we have the Holy Spirit, we are not the same. We are not the same as someone who has just been saved, does not have that message, is untaught. When they go out into the world, they are not as prepared as we are. We are a prepared people if we have the Holy Spirit. Now, either we do or we don't. I don't want to know of it. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't want it to be something that I just know about. I pray and I ask God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I speak in tongues, and I see things I never saw before, and I speak in tongues again. But I want the power that goes with it when I go out the door. I want to preach repentance and the remission of sin. I want to preach it. I want to preach that God can set you free from bondage. He can set you free from the work of the devil, that the devil has no place. Personally, as a, I have physically, I struggled for the last three years of my life in some way, sometimes really, really bad. And I began to study this, and I thought, let me tell and I'm completely off target now, completely off, off subject. Listen to me just a minute, for whoever it might be. There is a real devil, and there are real spirits that have particular identities. There are addictions. There are spirits of infirmity there are unclean spirits there are all sorts of different spirits whether or not anybody in this world believes that they can occupy a man but we have authority over them what does it say when an unclean spirit does it say unclean or just a spirit leaves a man 
regardless. When a spirit leaves a man, he goes into dry places, and he comes back. And if he finds it swept and in order, empty, he comes back. I'm going to tell you that when I got to thinking about that, I said, wait a minute. I have prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If I have the Holy Spirit, and this spirit of infirmity continues to plague me, how can the spirit of infirmity win? Have we ever thought about the Holy Spirit? And I begin to say, I rebuke that in spirit of infirmity in my life because I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, it says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I begin to say it. And it would say, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard against him. And I thought, then the spirit of infirmity cannot rule. It can't rule. And so then I would think, well, what about whenever the Spirit comes back? Do I think I'm going to have more trial? Why, sure. Do I think he's going to try to come back? Why, sure. And you say, well, that ain't the way you do it. All I know is for three weeks I felt like I'm 20 years old. And I believe that I have been set free from a spirit of infirmity. And I, I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if he lives in me, black and white, he shall quicken my mortal body. And that is what I want to confess, and that is what I'm going to believe. The Holy Spirit is going to fill my life to the point if a spirit of infirmity, an unclean spirit, any other spirit wants to come and inhabit this mortal body, he finds it full. There is no room for a spirit of infirmity. I'm thankful to the Lord for the power of prayer and the power... And his mercy and grace. Like I said, you may say, well, that's not necessarily the way it's supposed to be. Well, fine, but I feel so good <laughs> that allow me to believe it. Amen. Turn one more scripture and we're going to go. This is Ephesians 4. I want us to think about, think about the work of ministry in purpose. Let me just start reading in verse 1. And I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Skip down to verse 11. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ 
till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I believe the message for today here, any other church, any other group, I would have a hard time straying off target, off topic, and that is we need a revelation of purpose. We just need a revelation from God of purpose. When we do that, all these things that we tend to try to figure out why and what we need to do and how we need to do different, that all pales away because we see our purpose. It's a need here. It's a need everywhere. I hope that I have not come across in a way that was down at anyone or telling you how it should be done because in doing that, it would be more about me and Paul's needs to be on the cross dying daily. Let's leave him there. So I want it to be the Holy Spirit that directs us and guides us as a church. I want us to consider consider ourselves, consider our families, consider how we view this assembly and consider the fact that we're a chosen generation and we've been called out of darkness with a purpose. And I want us to consider those things. I want us to pray as we close and consider yourself and, and pray to the Lord and ask him whatever you have seen or felt led of tonight and believe by faith that he will open your eyes to, to guide you from here on out, continue and add one, one stone to the next and be like we want him to be. Amen? God, we, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the chance to be here. We thank you for an opportunity of tomorrow. Most of all, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for giving us all that we need to go and to do. We ask that you would allow seeds that have been planted, that you would water them and cause them to grow. And in doing so, Father, we would bear much fruit, and you would be glorified. And our little time on this earth, in this small church, would bring glory to you. I thank you, Lord, for it. And I ask that you would bless us as we leave here and watch over us and keep us. Thank you in Jesus' name. I'm going to the Dominican Republic in uh, November the 11th. Um, keep that in your, your prayers. Going down back into the villages again. Wanting to... Go a little further, wanting to get meet with some of the pastors that go in there and evangelize. They make trips back in there, um, kind of a, a scouting trip, so to speak, and see what opportunities there is to minister as part of our purpose and ministry. For some to go down there, I want to be able to connect those dots together. So consider... Uh, Think about it. Be praying about it. Would like to get a trip together in February. If the Lord shows something while we're down there uh, that I feel strongly is a legitimate need um, that we could go and do as a church. That's just one of many ministry opportunities that we have in front of us 
when we walk out that door.